everybody. Welcome to The Afterword. I'm Dave Tish. This is part two of our week's podcast, part de numero dos. That's where we are. This past weekend, we finished up our Compassion Immersion Sermon Series. And every year we do this, we talk about, we choose um, a famous Christian saint through history who's a missionary, who has something to say about what it means to live life on mission, to live life with God and his mission to reach and love and serve this world that God loves so much. So this year we chose Leslie Newbegin. So I sat down with Steve Clifford, who spoke at our Saratoga campus, to talk about what lessons we can learn as modern Christians from the life and the writings of Leslie Newbegin. We're going to dive into that conversation right now. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterword here in Steve Clifford's kitchen. Very exciting. It's actually Dana Clifford's kitchen. Oh, it is. It's Dana's kitchen. She has acquiesced to allow us to sit here. Oh, sorry. We're here in Dana Clifford's there kitchen. There you go. <laughs> get, get that part right. Um, now, this past week is, I would say, now I don't, I don't know this for sure, but I would say that since I've known you, this is probably one of your favorite weeks of the year. I do enjoy it a lot. That's probably because it's a combination of... I care deeply about the role of the church and its responsibility for the world, hmm. especially the Western church. So I, I should say, particularly the Western church's responsibility um, to resource. I, I really believe there's one church. Right. And that, that when, when the church in mm-hmm. India hurts, we hurt. Right. So I feel passionately about um, that. And then I feel... Um, kind of equally as passionate about history. Right. You know, so... You're, you're a bit of a history nut. You, I you, am. Go, you go down the yeah, rabbit trails. Yeah, and yeah. I and so I enjoy... And I'm ignorant. I'm completely ignorant in this area of, you know, missionaries from the last 250 years or so, right. and even more. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty ignorant. So it's all a lot of discovery and then a lot of passion. You add those two things, and it makes for a long sermon. <laughs> yeah, it, it almost feels like these could be multiple sermons because there's so many lessons in each. And we're going to get to who you chose this year. Uh, but even in years past, every single time I walk out of these, it's it's a bit of church history, but it's also deeply inspirational because these folks often sacrifice their lives, their comfort, um, their whole lives for the benefit of others and others that they didn't even know. It's really oh, yeah. it's it, very it's- cool. It was so um, back in the day when you gave your life to the to missionary work, or you know, you were basically saying, if you got to take your family with you, you only took them for part of the time, and then you would have to send them home. Huh. Um, and they would because they couldn't get an education where they were. Right. And then the illnesses, um, the, the malaria, disease, the, the yeah, diseases. Oh my gosh! It, it was, you know, there are there was such great sacrifice for uh, these folks to. It still is a great sacrifice. Um, I just sat yesterday um, after church. This is the after word. And yeah, so yesterday yeah, yeah. after church, um, I sat with uh, three of our missionaries that I was able to have lunch with. And one of them uh, simply said, my children can't get educated where I'm at. He's in the, he happens to be in the Middle East. Right. And he, they can't get educated there. So essentially his wife and children have moved away so that 
um, his wife can oversee the education of their children because uh, they're now in middle school and they've done. And so you just think about that. Think about how little he'll see his kids. Um, yeah, it, man, it takes a strong calling for something like that. It's not for everybody. I remember when, uh, when right after college, I went to serve with Youth for Christ, and they had this story about missionaries in right around the turn of the century in the 1900s. There was a huge explosion right after the 1900s. Mm-hmm. There was an Edinburgh Mission Conference, and there was a passion for the world, and they realized we can almost get anywhere. And so let's, and there was a burning passion in young people to do it. And what they would do is when you decided to be a missionary, they'd have you do two things. First, you'd have to write a letter to um, to your family and to your friends that would be read by your local pastor when you died. I've heard this, yeah. And the second thing is when you packed up all your stuff to go, your bedding, your clothes, all your 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 food stuffs, and you know that you'd pack that to be shipped in a coffin. Oh wow, I hadn't heard that. Because it's a reminder you're going to die in the wow. mission field, and that's going to be okay because that's the calling. But what it does, and, and that's extreme. But the but the point of these stories is to remind us that God's mission has to become central, and often. Just as selfish humans, man, we drift out of it. And yeah, but it's more than it's more than that. I mean, it certainly is a great sacrifice, and I wouldn't minimize any of that. But but what I find most fascinating is is that as I learn, as I spend time with these with these different characters over the years, every one of them has something very relevant to say to the to the church right today now. Yeah, yeah. in Santa Clara County. I yeah. mean, not just yeah. in the church in general, right. but I mean, things that we really are wrestling with and, and, and the, the, the applicational truths that come out of these people who were there. I don't just pick random folks. I mean, right, I'm right. picking guys who, um, guys and gals, guys and gals <laughs> yeah. who are who, who are biblical. Right. I mean, because that makes them timeless. Yeah. That's the key. Right. Is that I don't care what culture you go to. If you are, if you're, if you're basing your ministry on scriptures, uh, the scripture's timeless. Right. So that brings us to this year's Leslie Newbegin, who had a very interesting life. And I felt a little bit as I was reading his story, because um, some of the introduction stuff that you sent me, I'd, I'd never read before. I didn't know. So the idea of leaving your home country and going, he went to India, which was mm-hmm. a part of the, the kind of the British empire at that point. He serves there for almost 40 years and then comes back to his home country. It's a little Rip Van Winkle-esque. Imagine somebody in like 1982 going to far, far away in, you know, the jungles of Borneo, you know, and, and yeah. just doesn't have any connection to anybody and then comes back in 2020. That would be such a giant culture shift, and there would be so much going on. And that's exactly what it was. And that's what it was for Leslie. Yeah. So he comes back. But before we get into the, the story of him, what impact did you just said that there's all these lessons that these folks have for us. When you were going through his life, what was the first thing that popped out to you as the core, one of the core lessons of Leslie's life to us today. Well, and it's one that I didn't even share yesterday. So what you didn't even get to it. Well, it's, but the first, the first thing that really popped to me and it's because of the, of the season that I'm in. Yes. Um, because I just said in some ways I just handed over, um, the mantle. Yeah. Of the leadership of Westgate church to Jay. And I don't want to make more of it than I am because it's always a team and there's always more than just me and, and all those kinds of things. But that has been my vocation. I mean, that has been my, 
my love, my dreams, my, uh, my, my, your life, my, yeah. my, and my honor to serve. Sure. And so I know I'm, I'm moving into a new season. What Dana and I are called the, calling the third adventure. Cause we were, we were public school teachers and I was a football coach. The first adventure. in Texas, right? Yeah. And now, then I've been a pastor for 35 years and then, and now I think that we're moving into this third adventure for our lives. And so what... Kind of like what he did. He retired exactly. from so missionary work. Exactly. So that's what I was going to say. He that's comes the, back. Yeah. That's what struck me first and hardest was he actually came back from 40 years in India that were very successful. I mean, he was elected bishop by the, by the presbytery in India after they gained their independence from Great Britain. Wow. So, so they don't. So, have, they no longer have a, a responsibility right. to elect a white dude. Right. We don't have to put but an. English he had dude. so. He was. He had so served them and become, and so in endeared essence, himself yes, to him. Yes. This man's humility, yeah, and his um, his preference towards other people, yeah, so won the hearts of the folks that yeah. they wanted him to stay as yeah. bishop, even though they no longer had the responsibility to do that, and that strikes me as just phenomenal. Yeah, but. So we're talking about 40 years of absolute success. If he never did another thing in his life, I mean, he was, he was a stud. And then he gets, he gets back to England. Thinking he's going to retire, thinking it's going to be soft and easy. He's going to speak on the, you know, he'll maybe teach a class at Cambridge and sure. hang out and live in some house that has ivy-colored walls. <laughs> and That's the way I look. I think of it. But um, his real legacy comes after he leaves India. Yeah. It comes after he comes back into this, this um, secular, he, he doesn't even recognize his home. Yeah. He doesn't even recognize. It's changed so much. And it has changed yeah. so much. that. And here's the funny part. You and then he begins writing, and, it's, and well, he's in his 60s. That's when his. That's when that, all of this starts. Yeah, he's actually, he might be in his 70s. He might be almost 70. Now. So that, that's his third adventure. Yeah, that's his third adventure, yeah. and I and it was so it's so fruitful. I don't know what God has for me, and it might be um, completely different. I expect it will be. Um, I'm not the I'm not I don't have the intellectual horsepower that Newbegin has, and um, but it, it, that's what struck me first. And here's the funny part because you mentioned this earlier, and I want to make sure we say it is that you ask why did I choose him? You know, I want to talk about why you chose him. Yeah. I didn't choose him. I did, what do you mean? This is of all, I, how many have I done now? I've done 12, 12 years of doing sure, this. And uh-huh. The other 11, I chose all 11. I didn't choose this one. I'm, I, I, we made this choice back in um, October, November, and um, Jay was oh. lead pastor of teaching at oh, that okay. time. I was and like, so I, I said, was like Jay, trying to figure out like what. So we were, we, were, we were meeting and projecting out the preaching schedule. Uh, and I, I said, you know, on that weekend, I usually, I typically do a, a missionary from the past that's, that has great application for us today. And, and um, so who do you want to do? And, you know, he, uh, he said, well, I don't know for sure. And then he came back later and he said, you know, I've, I've really been fascinated. I'd like to know more about, um, Leslie Newbigin. Leslie Newbigin. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so he chose him. Okay. Yeah, I, I really cool. had um, almost zero exposure to Newbigin. I, yeah. I only had, there have been times when he's been quoted by people that I've read. Sure. And he's very quotable. Yes. You know, and so uh, I, I was exposed. I knew the name, but I didn't know the man. Yeah. And I still don't. Right. But I, but I know a little more of yeah, him. Yeah, we're introduced to him. So if, if, you know, when we get, 
to that giant dinner party in heaven, and he's milling around. Hi, I'm Leslie Newbegin, and we're like, oh, wait, I know you. Yeah, <laughs> sit down and have a cup of coffee with him. <laughs> or probably tea, frankly. I mean, he's British. Okay, I can do that. <laughs> okay. As long as I can have sugar in it. <laughs> so let's get to the lessons. Uh, Newbegin's life is fascinating for a number of reasons, um, but what jumps out at you as one of the more important lessons from his life? Would you choose the India adventure, or would you choose the post-India coming into the secularized Britain and then trying to minister there? Oh, I would choose the I would choose post-India. Post-India, and and I think his his real legacy is all on the, the what we talked about yesterday, which was which was the missionary encounter, right? Which are weird words for us. We don't, you know, um, the missionary. We immediately dismiss um, that because we don't. We're not put, packing our stuff in a, ca- in a coffin. Yeah, and, yeah. and We're not going to far reaches of no, the world. And, right, right. But that was Newbegin's point, is that um, to be a Christ follower is to be on mission. Mm-hmm. And don't think missionary as someone who goes. Think missionary as someone who's on mission. And if you're on mission, then um, the gospel and the beauty and the power of the gospel is, uh, is kind of what drives your decisions. It's what you submit your agendas to. And uh, that reality, you know, he, he was, he's flabbergasted kind of when he came back to um, London and Christianity had become completely private. No one spoke of their faith in any arena. Right. The privatization. Right? Yeah. And it, it can, it, it's, it's, um, it's personal, but it can never be private. Your faith is completely unique from mine and how Christ is working in you and the things that God is teaching you and how he's leading you and, and the seasons of life that you have in front of you, all of those things are completely unique. And so it's absolutely personal, um, but it can't be private. I mean, Jesus just didn't leave us that option. I mean, Acts 1.8 says that to go and make disciples of the whole world, all nations. And, uh, and, and certainly that means the folks across the street. Yeah. yeah. So when you look at, what Newbegin did, he began to try to, for lack of a better word, contextualize or bring the news of, of Jesus. And when we say gospel also, sometimes it's helpful to, to I, I wrote down some notes, like what, what, what do we mean by the gospel? And I, I wrote down like kind of five things, like incarnation, um, the life and teachings of Jesus, the atoning death, the, the sacrificial death on the cross, the resurrection, and then the ascension. Those kind of five things kind of sum up the, the good news of what Jesus did and what, what he's about. Mm. So if you go into each of these and kind of explain, it would take a long time to explain the full news of why all that's good news. But Yeah, I would, I, just to interrupt you, I, I would say those things are essential to the gospel, but I wouldn't define the gospel that broadly. Oh, okay. How would you, how would you say? I would define the gospel as the availability of the kingdom God made manifest in Jesus Christ. Great. Suddenly... God's kingdom. God did something yes. about yeah. our problem, and that something was Jesus took on flesh, um, with the very intention of bearing the penalty and weight of um, our sin. And and now the kingdom and new life is possible. And now the kingdom is mm-hmm. is suddenly available because of what God has done on our behalf. Right, right. And then our purpose in that is that we would try to model the kingdom. In how we parent, how we do our business, how we the hobbies we choose, 
the way we use our money. We're changed. The we're way that we speak, yeah. Yeah. the movies we watch, yeah. the way we respond on social media. It, it is a surrender of our life to that to that model. To that kingdom and that king, yeah. And we pursue that. Yeah. Our command, our, our marching orders is to pursue that kingdom um, with all you have, above all else. And Newbegin's, one of Newbegin's point is that um, part of missionary work is confronting idols. And that's, that's yeah. It, that's, uh, first of all, you have to diagnose the idols correctly. And then second yeah. of all, you have to confront them accurately. Yeah. Uh, with, the, with the antidote or... It's kind of like penicillin. There's an infection in every culture, and it's different in every culture. Like for example, I think about the San Jose. I, I was just, I was just down south in in L.A. L.A. is a different culture than the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. It just is. Mm-hmm. There's a ton of flash. There's a ton of style. There's a ton of pretty. There's a ton. Uh, it, it's just a different thing. There's also money there, but it's a. Di- it's, oh yeah, same amount. It, it's it, just different. There's different. I've heard things. people describe it as Southern California's image. Yes, and here it's achievement. Yes, that that's and maybe it. that's not. I don't know that. That's so general. It's no right, but but, but here's it, the thing: yeah. is that and Newbegin would say we get confused on idols because as soon as you hear idols, it's got to be a bad thing. Idols are not necessarily bad things at all. They're really good things, put in the place of God. I, I see. Right. So, so, for example, most people would hear idol and they would think like, well, also the word idol is very strange. I think of like is. Indiana Jones and like well, these yeah, like or tri- primitive tribes. Some kind of East, a, some kind of Eastern right. religion where there's a little statue somewhere or something. And, and I think that um, because it, achievement is not bad. No, but it can be an idol. But it's an idol. Or it, even it can fam- be. Even yeah. family can be an idol. Well, family is definitely an yeah. idol. So um, there's all... Education. Education's an idol. These are no. all things. So you have to diagnose it correctly and then help people put it in the correct uh, place. Is that the right way to say yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the ordering of your priorities. Yeah. I, and, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with any of the things that we mentioned. Any uh, Family or children or education or a new car or all of those all things. things but yeah. If they get put in the place of God, which is basically first place. If that's what you're living for, if that's, that's what and yeah. you put your, your hopes your and schedule, dreams. In, yeah. Your hopes, your dreams, yeah. your priorities are all focused on that. Um, uh, then unfortunately it becomes, and, and you know, in, in a loving way, I don't know that we're the way that we call out idols. First of at first and foremost, I think is to live without them. You know, if, if you're a friend of mine and you, you notice that um, I'm generous with my car. Right. Or money or whatever. You know, yeah. and then you are, you are, um, we trust the Holy Spirit of God in you to, if you're a Christian, to, um, for him to prick your conscience towards some of the things that are going on. If you're not a Christian, behavior is not the issue. See, I'm not trying to get you to put to change your idols if you're not a Christian. It's I'm trying, much, to, I'm trying for you to embrace the availability of the kingdom of God through yeah, Jesus. Much deeper that's, heart that's stuff. That's what's yeah. the issue. But once you're in the kingdom and you profess to be in the kingdom, then, then you are saying, I'm ordering my priorities based on the king. Yeah. And the king would say those so things. So these idols can be place. both individual, obviously. Everybody's a little different on these kind of things that drive them. For example, even I think about... I. I know Dana's motivations are slightly different than your motivations. Oh, yeah, they absolutely. just are. And same For thing sure. with, with you and me. Uh, but there's also kind of broader culture things, like streams of idolatry that various cultures kind of live in. And one of the things that Newbegin said is his culture, when he came back after 40 years, he was like, there's this um, myth of secular progressivism 
which is we can build the perfect society, yeah, and we I, don't really need God anymore. Yeah, I think he called it the myth of progress. Yeah, so that myth of progress, and as he was talking about that, now the, he comes back in like the 70s, right, uh, into England? Uh-huh, 74. So that still feels relevant. It feels like he's talking about 20, 2020 America when he, oh, when, uh, when he uh, says this, right? I think we still embrace the myth of progress. Yeah. And the myth of progress, I guess, just as he just... It's basically trying to build the perfect world, but you don't need God. Yeah, it's, uto- can, it's utopianism. Right. We can, we, can, we can with our own intellect. And if you think about the, the Silicon Valley and the Bay Area, we're the most highly educated. Yeah. We, can, we can build anything. We're so rich and so smart. There's not a problem we can't solve. Right. Except, oh, I don't know, homelessness on our streets. <laughs> you know well, what forget, I mean? You know, forget, forget um, outward. Here's some problems we can't solve. Right. Loneliness. Oh, sure. Right, right. Purposefulness. Right, right. Um, the, right. my own, uh, my own tendency, let's go deeper in our own, in our own, my own tendency to hide who I really am. Sure. And my refusal, my refusal to love it, it, the people that I say I love. I mean, in a real selfless way. Right. I mean, I, I don't have to go, I don't have to go out that door, you know, right here uh, to find a problem that I cannot fix. Yeah. I cannot fix it. Yeah. Um, and so you can give me all the resources and all the time that you want, and we think that'll fix it. Right. But the truth is, it won't. Right, right. And so when you place your hope in those resources and time and education, and you place your hope essentially on the on your own humanity uh, to bring about this utopian world, um, your own intellect, your own skill, your own resource. Yeah, you yeah. just—if you're honest—at some point, you're gonna you're gonna realize I don't. I can't fix it. It reminds me a bit of Babel, you know, all that story all the way back in Genesis. They, they, they're like, hey, why don't we come together with technology and build this big thing? And then ah, we'll be like, you know, we can storm the gates of heaven. You know, we, we'll, yeah. we'll be up there. We'll be, we'll be like gods. Um, and God's like, no, that's not what humans were created for. We're created to be independents with, yeah. which, is, which is weird because uh, we, things, look, the, the myth of progress is based on, like you said, there, it's, it's based on something good. We want things to get better. We want to use our ingenuity to, to make we things can, better. We can and we really make can. Progress. And we can. But, <laughs> but we not just can't make God. that much. We can't make progress in the things that really matter in the soul. Yeah. Right. And if we, we believe, and I know you and I do, that every person we ever meet has a soul, yeah. uh, then that, that incongruity between the will and the mind and our body uh, those components are constantly at war right. and um, and get broken. Or you know, I put it another way, there was a, you know, as John Montgomery says, we're trying to build the kingdom without the king. Yeah, yeah. And just humans, I love that state. Humans are just, we need, the, we need our king. That's yeah. the whole, one of the major lessons of the scriptures is that we need our king and we're not it. Humans aren't it. We're good princes. I yeah. mean, we are. Yeah. We're, and we we're, were meant held, to be princes. We're meant to be. Yeah. I mean, God holds us as royalty. Yeah. I mean, in, yeah. and his co-regents. Yeah. yeah, but we're not the king. Yeah, and uh, we don't that make submission to the way of the king is is, is critical. And that's what good yeah. Christian life at the end of the day is really a surrender. Right. It's right. a really a surrender to your own death to self is another way to say it. Any other lessons from New Begin that you think jump out, or perhaps um, particular idols in the Bay Area that that if if New Begin were here. And he would observe us for a few. I wonder what he would say to us in the Bay Area, the, the churches in the Bay Area. Yeah, I, I think our constant pursuit, I think we're still, we're, we're actually still guilty of almost the same thing. Hmm. Um, we think that, that we, 
we have this this idea that we can fix things, and that at the core, at the core, we don't really need really need help. And I I, I read something just this morning in my devotional time where it said that um, I'm going to goof it up, but um, the self doesn't need um, you know rest. Uh, it doesn't need fixing. It needs to be completely overhauled. I mean, it, oh right, it, it's, it's not it's, a tinkering. That's not the. That's not it. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I just butchered it. Sorry, John. Yeah, well, yeah. John Orberg said something this morning <laughs> that just really caught my heart. But mm. um, it's not about a tinkering. It's, it's not a complete, about a tinkering. A complete it's a overhaul. complete overhaul. And right. when we recognize that, and the depth of our of our need, and um, brokenness. Yeah, I think it, it just it's a correct understanding of the way of the things, and and it's a correct understanding of just how much God loves us in spite of our brokenness. I mean, Romans would tell us that on our best day, um, God still loved us. Yeah. I mean, I, sorry, on our worst day. Right. I was like, well, uh, on my best, yeah, <laughs> on our best or worst day, that's it, the, the love doesn't change. Our best day still yeah. falls way short. Um, fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. As one of the things I was thinking about is if somebody were here in 1980 and then they left for 40 years and came back, what would they, what kind of things would shock them um, and that's worth, that's a, that's an interesting question. I, I like, what would shock them? And then what would Jesus, what, how does the scriptures confront the, those changes or, or how would they help? You know, maybe, maybe course correct is probably not the right word, but, um, speak into that, um, prophetically. And, and that's, that's a worthy question to think about, like, um, how things have changed in, in 40 years or what, what, what are the drifts? And sometimes you can't see it cause you're in the drift, you know? Oh, it's, it's like the, the, don't ask the fish to describe what water is. Right. Right. Because we're in it. Or yeah. or like when you're at the beach and you slowly drift away from, you know, and it's just like, well, I, I can't tell. I, I think that would be something, a good challenge for those who are listening to, if even if you weren't alive in, in, the, eight, in the 80s, it's easy to figure out. You can go back and Google, what was the, what was the number one song in 1980, you know? <laughs> right, and, right. And um, what was the number one TV show? And uh, what was going on? And, and as you as you project yourself or you can say, gosh, um, all of the change that you've seen um, and yet New Begin's message to us about a missionary encounter, having eyes for the gospel, is just as fresh and just as meaningful today as it was then. What does that mean to us? Yeah. I mean, you know, what does that mean to our own lives? And, And where are we projecting we'll be in 20? Yeah. Or, for, or, you know, 40. I won't go out 40. I, I can go out maybe, oh, Lord willing, 20. And um, uh, what does that mean? One of the things that, that was super convicting, and let's let's take it from cultural to personal. There's this moment, like, uh, at the end of the sermon, um, I was at the South Hills campus, and Jay was talking about how this missionary encounter, if you think about it, um, at some point, he was someone's, you know, mission field. Someone said, "Jay Kim, he's far from God. I know it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna treat him like a mission field, and I, I'm I'm gonna treat him like this is my mission field, and he's he's my uh, he's the one I'm gonna I'm gonna go after because I think God was gonna go yeah. After. I closed the message the same way, and and that, I know that happened for you. You you yeah. were viewed by someone as worthy of pursuit that tried to bring the message of Jesus to you and and be incarnationally in your life and love you really well. It happened for me." I got teared up. I, I started tearing up, man. It was really emotional. I started thinking about all the people who have poured into me, and it, it, it took God quite a few people to get to me. But uh, 
um, my best friend in, in high school, Eric. And, and who was it for you that? Um, yeah, you? for me, it was a, a, a young seminary student named Scott Coy, who was um, who was leading uh, this this brand new effort into a, my high school was brand new, um, just a couple of years old when I when I entered it. And so he had started a brand new Young Life Club trying to reach out to students. And uh, I was his enemy. I was obnoxiously anti anything going on with Christian and just arrogant. And um, he stayed with it. And I watched him up close, you know, for over a year. And uh, finally, after my junior year, I came to Christ. And uh, I'm just so glad someone, Yeah, it would have been so easy f- to say, ah, he's not interested. Right. And... Um, and they just stuck was, with you. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he just continued to invite me, continued to, when he see me at schools, yeah. and when he saw me at events, he would speak with me, and and I just watched his patience with us and other students, and, you know, I thought, I'm going to, you know, at some point I finally said, I need to check this out, and that's when the resurrection became real, yeah. and that's why, you know, I, I, I closed, man, if, if Christ rose, then he deserves to reign. And so the the empty tomb is really where people need to ask is why is it empty? What was his name? Scott Coy. Scott Coy. Scott Coy. Well, thanks, Scott Coy. Thank you, Scott. If you're out there, if you're listening, man, and I, I just I just think about all the fruit. And and Jay was talking about a um, just a men's group. Uh, they knew that he they they were part of his church that he had been like this is stupid I'm I'm out of here, and they just kept inviting him and. Mm. They watch pizza, they watch Monday Night Football, then they started reading books together, and he's like, I guess I'll read a book, because he started to trust these guys. Yeah. And they poured into his life, this group of guys, and, and after about a year of being with these guys, he knew that they cared about him, He, that's when Jesus got him. Wow. And they didn't give up, you know? And yeah. that's that's really emotional to me, because it's like, think of all that happened because of their faithfulness, these these people that... that and that's the same that can be for us. We could have the same impact um, with the Spirit's help, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. They were attentive. And uh, that's just really convicting. And that's, it's a really beautiful reminder that this, the kingdom comes, yes, there's cultural things, but it's also deeply, deeply, deeply personal. Yeah, and it is for all of us. It, uh, you know, uh, all of us that have come to Christ, some chain of events, some individual. Yeah. Stuck with us. Yeah. It might be a good exercise for you to think about that too. And then and reach out to that person if they're still alive and oh, say yeah. thanks. So um, thank you. It's that. really a it's a really beautiful um kind of exercise too. But, and not stop there, but decide I'm gonna I'm and gonna, I'm gonna do it too. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do that too. God, how might I be a Scott a Scott Coy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love um it's this is how I closed the service yesterday and and it was a new begin quote and it was basically live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions as people watch you live, yeah. that can only be answered with the gospel. Yep, that's why do you give your money away? Yep, that's exactly. Jesus it. rose from the yeah. dead. Why, why are you so ser- peace? Why, why are you yeah. so wise? What, why do you serve? Why the do you poor? care? Yeah. Why do you, why do you? Why in the world do you get up and go to church? Yeah, huh? you need no. stuff. Yeah. Well, thanks, Leslie. Yeah, uh, thank and, you, and Leslie. That's really exciting. And uh, thanks, Steve and Jay, for for bringing this uh, this character in history, this saint, into our uh, into our vision. Yeah, and I would say, you know, you can. There's there's podcasts about Leslie Newbegin that I drew from. There's you know books to read. You can uh, you can just Google him really quickly. And it, it, this is not this is not the work of a, a giant intellect here. It, it, you know I just expose myself to autobiographies and yeah. and podcasts and different points that other people have learned about him, and um, and then try to you know 
pirate from all of these different yeah. resources and, and bring them together. So well, let's get out of Dana's kitchen. You can do kitchen. this on your yeah. own. Let's get out of Dana's kitchen, let's shall do. we? She, yeah, she's probably <laughs> tapping her foot right now. All right. Well, thanks, Steve. Thanks you for bet. being with us. Just want to say thanks to all of you for listening for our second podcast in the week. That's just cool. So thanks for uh, stopping by for the second time. Thanks to Steve Clifford for sitting down, sharing his thoughts. And uh, we'll see you next week.